Thanks again for tuning into our podcast, Mum, Will the Planet Die Before I Do? I'm Katie, one of the presenters on this series. And if you want to know more about why we came up with this idea and our lineup of guests, please listen to the introduction episode on the link to this podcast. In this episode, we hear from the world-renowned climate scientist, father and proud Bangladeshi, Professor Salim Al-Haq. Professor Huck has been to every single COP summit and he's managed to stay sane through it all. He chats to Babs and I about the reality of living through a climate emergency in his home country of Bangladesh and warns how the climate conversation isn't about rich and poor, but a new paradigm shift of parents versus child. Now, I think is a very important time for parents to think about the world we are leaving behind for our children and what it is that we need to tell them or help them with um, and support them on because the children know this and they are organizing themselves. As you know, uh, the Swedish teenager a few years ago started uh, protesting in front of the Swedish parliament every Friday instead of going to school. And that has become a movement of millions of school kids around the world every Friday boycotting school and doing more than just advocacy. They are now taking actions. Uh, They were there in the thousands in Glasgow on the streets of Glasgow, not inside the negotiations because the negotiators aren't really listening to them. You see, that's almost where we feel quite shamed because it feels like Greta, as you're talking about and all the kids kind of protesting around the world, they get the climate science far more than the adults do, which must drive you bonkers when you're working with the adults and trying to get them Mm -hmm. to understand. And the kids kind of calling for appropriate change, appropriate to the catastrophe we're facing, which leaves us kind of wondering, why is it that the kids are kind of telling the adults what to do? And why don't the adults seem to understand? Well, I'll give you my um, take on that question. It's extremely difficult to convince adults that whatever they've been doing for their entire life has caused a major problem for which they are now responsible and for which they now have to change the way they do things. Nobody likes doing that. Nobody likes acknowledging it and nobody likes doing it. Uh, But that's the reality. We have to do that. They have to understand. So one of the things that I've noticed over the last 30 years is that uh, we started off with a very big divide between the rich and the poor, developed countries versus developing countries, rich countries versus uh, uh, poor countries, rich people, versus poor people, because the problem is created by the pollution and emissions of the rich. And the victims of uh, climate change are generally poor people, mostly in poor countries, but even poor people in rich countries. And that divide is still there, it's true. And in in the uh, conference of parties under the UN Framework Convention, that plays itself out. Rich countries on one side, developing countries on the other side, and it's very much a tussle between those two groups of countries. But in my view, we are now entering a brand new paradigm shift where it isn't so much rich countries or rich people versus poor countries and poor people. It's the young generation against the older generation. And that's true for all countries, whether it's a rich country or a poor country. We see it in Bangladesh as much as you see it in the UK. The younger generation are challenging their own older generations, their own fathers, grandfathers, uncles, aunts, uh, many of whom are the leaders of their countries. And the younger generation are saying, well, just because you did things one way does not mean that we have to continue doing it that way. 
and we want to do it differently and we will do it differently and children are actually at the forefront of demanding change and hopefully getting change as a result well we are of course talking putting ourselves in the bracket of the older generation because we are the parents and the carers and the guardians so how do we bridge that gap then we need to acknowledge our role so we need to understand that we cannot be uh, sitting idle, we cannot sit on the fence, we cannot say it's somebody else's problem. We have to accept that this is my problem mm. and I need to do what I can. And one of the biggest, uh, um, most effective things I can do is educate and support my own kids uh, to understand the problem. And if they want to do something about it, which I'm pretty sure they all do, every time I talk to kids, they're very enthusiastic about doing something help them do something, help them uh, uh, connect with other people, join forces with other people, do things themselves in terms of their own carbon footprint, the family's carbon footprint, eat less meat, for example. Uh, you can do things as a, as a family and as a group uh, with friends and neighbors and, and uh, your larger family to just say, we are going to do something and not just sit idle and, and be affected in a more sort of passive doomsday scenario, you know, everything's going to bits and there's nothing much we can do. That will lead to depression. I think we're already there in that state, actually, to be honest. I think that's the whole reason why we're having... We don't have to be. I know, but it, feel, it, it does feel it's scary. So I think being scared is not a bad thing. Let us be scared. Uh, we should say we'll do something about it. We will take actions. We can we can overcome. It is not something that is a doomsday that we have to accept. We can certainly prevent the worst from happening. We cannot prevent some things bad happening, but we can cope with them. We can deal with them. We can be prepared for them. And that's something that we can all be involved in. You know, it's interesting when you're talking about um, parents teaching the kids, because we kind of almost see it the other way around, but it's the kids who are talking to the adults and teaching the adults. So it almost feels like it's kind of the different way around of the, the kids who are kind of trying absolutely. to tell the adults about it. Is that something you see as well? Absolutely, absolutely. In fact, um, as and when that happens, and, and it happens a lot, uh, our responsibility as adults is to listen to them and support them. Uh, and not, as I said, not to, first of all, not to reject them, which, you know, is the wrong thing to do. Uh, but also if we are uh, convinced of what they're doing, not to sit on the fence and say, well, okay, go ahead and do it. I think we need to then be proactive and come out and help them. And if you look at some of the uh, demonstrations that have been taking place, you know, the Extinction Rebellion developed, for example, the demonstrations in the UK, parents, even grandparents have gone and joined them on the streets in doing protests. And to me, that's a tremendous sign and a way forward for everybody to join forces. There was still a minority, it doesn't really matter. You know, nothing ever changes uh, until somebody actually does something about it. And the kids are doing that. And I guess you know, that bridges that paradigm that you were talking about, or the, the new kind of not the rich nations and the poor nations anymore, but the kids and the, those kinds of protests really merge. Precisely. Precisely. Yeah. So, so to me, the, the future belongs in kids, young people around the world, uniting and joining forces and taking actions to tackle this climate problem and challenging their older generations. You know, leaders, we can throw the leaders out, vote them out, bring in new leaders that are going to listen to us. 
they can do that. They have the power to do that. And, and you know, this is not a hyperbole because if you look at the results of the United States election, presidential election just a, a little while ago, um, President Biden was voted in to a very large extent by young voters for whom climate change was a big issue. That's the true. young people in the US are the ones who are pushing the climate agenda of Biden, which he has now taken on board. He talks climate change in a way now that he never did before. And that is young people making him change his own way of uh, seeing the problem and doing something about it. So yeah. people can be convinced. I'm just wondering though, when we have this conversation, there are people who have lived the consequences of the climate crisis, are living the consequences of this crisis. Can you share with me some of the things or the stories that you've heard from the parents that have gone through what we're fearing might happen on our doorstep? Well, you know, I, I um, live in, and work in Bangladesh, which is the country I'm from. And Bangladesh is certainly at the forefront of the impacts of climate change. Um, we are extremely vulnerable. We are a poor country, highly populous country living on the Delta of three rivers. And the problems are in huge numbers. People are being forced to leave their land in the low-lying coastal area and, and migrating into the cities, into the slums of the cities, you know, climate migrants. Um, parents are being forced to actually marry off children, their daughters, younger. You know, Bangladesh has been making very good progress on uh, moving the age of uh, girls getting married upwards. There's been a lot of uh, um, investment in people understanding that and, and uh, doing that. But it's being reversed now with climate change because families are just simply not being able to afford to keep their daughters till an older age and they're marrying them off early. And mm. even worse than marrying off, you know, there are examples of trafficking as well. So, you know, these are very, very real and very, very stark problems in many, many poor countries. This end of the spectrum is really very, very bad. But unfortunately, in the global, you know, media thinking, debate, discussion, it doesn't make much difference. How do you feel then when this is happening in your home country and, you know, the media spotlight isn't on it, as you say, or, or doing it justice? And yet the course of the climate emergency is, is very real there. Do you feel like you can't do anything to help? Not at all, not at all. We Let me uh, describe another feature of uh, my country and my countrymen and women. Uh, Bangladeshis are amongst the most resilient people on the planet. You know, we have faced adversity for many, many years, and we are used to facing adversity, whether it's environmental adversities like floods and cyclones, or even poverty. Um, and we have managed to survive and not just survive, we have managed to thrive under those circumstances. And the people of Bangladesh collectively, not just the government and the prime minister and the ministers and, and the, the officials, but the people of the country, we have now come together to build our own resilience to tackle climate change effectively. And we are at the forefront globally of figuring out how to deal with the impacts of climate change and are, are some of the best uh, actions on adaptation, for example. We have the best early warning and evacuation system for cyclones anywhere in the world. We had a super cyclone recently 
that used to, in previous decades, would kill tens of thousands, even hundreds of thousands of people. The recent one we had two years ago, the death toll was less than 100, and most of them were fishermen out at sea who didn't get to land in time. More than 3 million people on land were evacuated successfully and didn't die. And so, you know, Bangladesh is, is really moving ahead in terms of dealing with the reality of the problem. Uh, and we will overcome the reality of the problem uh, as, you know, uh, I, I'm confident we'll do that. And we can, in fact, help the rest of the world. So we would offer support. Uh, and that's one of the options that I mentioned of young people joining forces across the world. Young people from Bangladesh can support young people from the UK uh, to do things together, to tackle the problem. We don't need sympathy and money. We need solidarity working together. And that's really the, the key to solving this problem in the long run. Wow, that is so powerful. We don't need sympathy and money, we need solidarity. I think, yeah, I mean, Katie, we have this conversation all the time, don't we, about how we can help where we're sat here in the UK. Well, yeah, that was the thing. And then, you know, obviously you're in a country <clears throat> that has been forced to find those innovative um, solutions. You're living it much more in much more stark reality than we are. Um, but we often feel that kind of sense of guilt and shame because we're kind of from fossil fuel belching nations that have this kind of historic legacy of make, causing trouble in other countries. So I think there's that kind of sense of when we have that fossil fuel legacy, you know, that kind of guilt and shame of what we should be doing to kind of make amends for that. But it's really interesting what you're saying of, you know, all those kind of ideas, innovations that you have from the front line that you can feed back to us. But I guess from our perspective, it's like, well, what can we, what should we be doing to make amends for the fact that you're in that position in the first place? Well, I, I, I think you should feel some guilt and shame, uh, but then you should do something about it. And what I'm offering you is a way to do something about it. And that is simply reach out to people around the world, whichever, you know, um, modality you have at your disposal and connections you might have, but, but don't think of it as charity and what we can do to help them. And together, figure out what we can do to tackle this global problem together, not in the sense of charity helping the poor, but in the sense of joining forces. You do what you can do where you are. I will do what I can do where I am. And we are both contributing to tackling a global problem together. That's the mentality and the paradigm that we want to take forward. And, you know, that's a different that's a different paradigm, I think, for any generation of parents, because we like to think that we're the ones teaching our kids things and we're the ones teaching our kids how to live. But I think probably for the first time in human history, we're now the generation of parents who have to say, OK, now this set of circumstances that we're parenting in is so completely different. It's so completely urgent. Exactly. And but but I think we have to be open for that, you know. I don't know what your situation is. My, my daughter has made my family go vegetarian uh, twice a week. Uh, and we all do that now. So, uh, you know, we need to listen to them. We need, we need to give due uh, uh, recognition to what the kids are learning and telling us. And, you know, learn about it ourselves and then collectively agree on things that we should be doing as families, as, you know, nuclear families and then larger families and then in our workplace, in our schools. And these are happening, by the way. You know, these are mm -hmm. 
everywhere you look, you'll see people being very proactive and doing things. They may not have changed the system yet, but they exist. They're there. Every place you look in your neighborhood, you'll find them. So the thing is to join forces, find these like-minded individuals and groups, work together, and then hopefully a bottom-up movement can then have a big impact at the global leadership level. Uh, bigger than we have had so far. Well, the very reason we're having this conversation is because of uh, Katie's son, um, who said, Mum, will the planet die before I do at bedtime, which was extraordinary. And um, I say shocking, but to him, not shocking, an obvious question. You know, I need this to be answered. You need to help me answer this question. And as you know, I'm putting words in your mouth, Katie, but I think as journalists, we kind of thought, uh, you know, we kind of get an answer to everything. We try and find the truth and we try and seek it out. But this was one question where both of us just didn't know what to say, right? Babs and I have been talking about this a lot um, in terms of our how we respond to those questions from our children. But that was fascinating to hear the changes that your daughter is kind of instigating in your family. I think what probably concerns me a lot about kids kind of instigating change is that kind of odd responsibility that they have to kind of change us. And I'm really aware also that time is really running out to kind of solve the climate crisis. And I don't know what that must be like for kids. How do you see that even with your own daughter? What you describe is correct, but you know, every um, adversity challenge is in and of itself an opportunity as well. The climate change issue is not inevitable doom. It, it is a problem that we can tackle if we do it correctly. We haven't done it well yet, but we can still do better going forward. And it's a, it's a long-term problem. So it is a generational problem. It's about what we, our generation, are leaving behind for the next generation. And unfortunately, we're leaving out behind a worse world than we inherited from our previous generation. That's a fact. We're going to have to live with that. And climate change is not something uh, like falling off a cliff. It's gradual. It takes place over a period of time to improve. We have the ability to prepare ourselves and be better prepared. Uh, and so let's do that. Let's all get to understand what the problem is, figure out what we can do about it individually as a group, and then do it and join forces with everybody else who's doing things. It needs a bottom-up global movement, in my view. And that's what kids can do. Kids are already doing it. And I see them being the vanguard of a genuinely global movement of citizens, of mm. people, not just leaders of our countries, because they have failed us. I wonder, with all the work you've done in this space, what motivates you <laughs> when there is so much frustration and inaction from the leaders that we look to kind of help us or there's a lot of politics involved in you know agreeing to cut emissions and targets and uh all the cops that I know you've been to every single one haven't you you've been to every single cop um yeah what motivates you to carry on good question so um I guess I'm inherently an optimistic person uh, but let me just describe, you know, the the situation of the cops in my life. So you're quite right. I'm one of the few people who's been to every single COP, including the, the most recent one in Glasgow, the 26th Conference of Parties. Um, but I spend two weeks in the year at these COPs where I fight for whatever I think needs to be done. And I end up 
usually end up being extremely disappointed by the outcomes. The one exception being in Paris in 2015, when we had a major outcome in the Paris Agreement, but that's mm -hmm. exceptional. Uh, uh, but that's only two weeks of the year. The other 50 weeks of the year, I'm in Bangladesh, I'm in a university, I have young students in my university, I run a, a network of universities in Bangladesh and beyond Bangladesh in the least developed countries. We all have very bright, very uh, uh, enthusiastic and very intelligent young students. And those are the ones who give me hope. They, they are not sitting idle. They are not uh, becoming, you know, uh, uh, letting the problem overcome them. They're all on the front lines, taking action, doing things, helping where they can help. And uh, to me, that gives me much, much greater uh, enthusiasm and optimism uh, than the two weeks I spent with the leaders who end up not doing very much. They talk, but they don't do. And as Greta quite rightly points out, it's just blah, blah, blah. Hmm. Um, and that's true. That's a genuine criticism. Although, you know, talk by itself is not bad. Talk is good. But if talk doesn't lead to action, then, then it is blah, 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 and, and not just uh, constructive talk. And what ordinary citizens do is far more important now. And that's why, you know, I'm very glad to be on this with you, to encourage every single person who listens to this uh, to think about what they can do and do it. I love those words of encouragement that you've just given, but I, I also wonder for kids how to keep that desire for change alive in the face of, of such inaction, UN inaction, local governments inaction. I know there are amazing cities around the world doing really innovative things and there are there is lots of positive news. But what what specifically, I guess, would you say also to those parents who are really desperately trying to drive change, but also their governments aren't doing enough? You know, I think it's so easy to get really worn down. Um, so how do people keep going? My own formulation of this is that you shouldn't let the global problems make you too passive. Uh, you need to think about what you can do and go local. You know, think about yourself, your own family, your own school, uh, where your kids are, your own workplace. Um, and what can you do? And start small. Start with, with figuring things out. Is an environmental problem in your neighborhood? Get together and do something. And when you start doing things with friends and allies, that is really a source of great um, optimism and, and uh, uh, takes you forward. You know, you work together, you have a band of people that are working together. Maybe not everybody is with you, but you have a group that's working together. You will find that there are people doing similar things everywhere in the world, and you can find ways to link up with them. You know, internet technology that allows us to, to connect with people all over the world in a way that we didn't uh, um, have before, let's do that. Let's use that and, and see whether uh, we can uh, do things even in a small way that gives us a sense of moving forward together with allies. And then we take on the even bigger uh, problems at the, the global level. Uh, but don't let the global problem uh, immobilize action in your own mind and your own life. Yeah, that's it. That's 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 so interesting because I think also, you know, as a parent, you're so keen to show your children that you're doing something, that you're taking this seriously. But in in my mind, at least, to show them that that I'm taking it seriously means these huge things like topple governments that aren't responding fast enough. So that's really reassuring 
I think that's what Katie and I have kind of trying to be working our way through. And it's really interesting hearing you talk about Paris, the fact that you were there and that you saw light there. And then Katie was marching on the streets and then this kind of momentum building. I was in the newsroom in London reporting on that for the BBC. And for us, it was about how much airtime can we give to that because we've got so many other things going on. It's noisy out there. And social media has meant that it's become really noisy out there, which is why I think that a lot of parents and carers feel so crippled by fear and inaction because it's kind of like, well, the problem's so big, we don't even know where to begin. So what I like to offer for people like yourselves in the United Kingdom and other developed countries is if you are interested in reaching out to people across the world who are being impacted by climate change, uh, then my country, Bangladesh, is full of people like that. And I'd be very happy uh, to put you in touch with them. But with the proviso that this is not about giving charity, but it is about getting to know them, learning from them, uh, um, listening to their stories, sharing your stories with them, and then jointly figuring out what it is that you might be able to do together. We are tackling a global problem where everybody has to do their share from wherever they are. And that's really what we want to figure out out of a sense of solidarity and working together. Um, and I, I truly believe that that's the way forward for us. And that will give your children enormous satisfaction to be able to do that. You have two children. You've talked about your daughter to us. Do you feel confident in your parenting in this current climate crisis? Well, my, my uh, children are both grown up now. And as I said, my daughter, who's the older one, is very conscious about this issue and, and makes us uh, do things uh, which we uh, agree to. My son, as it happens, has actually studied environment and he works in my center in Bangladesh. He's a, he's a scientist uh, working in moving in his father's footsteps on this mm -hmm. issue. So, so you've done an excellent job then. <laughs> <laughs> he was in Glasgow with me for the, the, the COP as well. Oh, well. And he's been to several COPs. And how do you feel about their future? I feel optimistic, you know, I feel optimistic. I, I, I don't like to be pessimistic about the future. I think the future is what you make of the future. The future isn't given to you as something that you have to accept. The future is something you make. Uh, and if you keep on trying to make a better future, you'll get a better future. You know, and that's what I've heard from you so beautifully of, I think, I think fear is very paralyzing. And I think fear also of parents not really understanding and fear of you know so you saying reaching out being proactive I find that really really reassuring because it's that action that kind of stops you from feeling so afraid isn't it exactly exactly and solidarity with people you know like-minded people it's like being in an army you know you give your life for your fellow soldier once you get to know them and you you do the training and that's really what we're doing now we're fighting a war against climate and we need to work together and become that army. Professor Salim al-Haq there, chatting to us about bridging that intergenerational divide. And what struck Katie and I was the idea that Salim had about chatting and learning from those communities who have lived and are living through a climate crisis right now. Great advice from him. In the next episode, we'll be talking the law with Tessa Khan. Can the law help frustrated parents who are desperate to do something to combat the climate crisis? And should we seek legal action when our leaders and governments are not doing enough? That's coming up next. 
See you then. Mum, will the planet die before I do? Is a Corner Shop Media Production presented and produced by Babita Sharma, Katie Glasborough and edited by Nisha Patel.